James chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, I think what we need to do, what we believe about Jesus matters. I think what we believe about the Bible matters. Um, our, our theology matters. Proper theology matters. And, it, and it's important that we know what we believe and that we follow biblical mandates. So James is going to show us in the text today um, sort of kind of a group of people that may have wandered off doctrinally. And, and I believe that this is a lot of folks in the country that we live in, the world in which we live, and, and people who claim to know Christ but yet have wandered off from proper biblical doctrine. Um, people who, have, who believe sort of kind of half-baked, half-baked truths and they follow you know, some half-baked preachers. Um, so I want to look at the, the first part of the text here is James chapter 5, verse 19. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you is wandering from truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whosoever brings back a sinner <clears throat> from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of of sins. So James is showing us in the text here that, that we've, got a, we've got a group of people that have wandered off, that have, that have moved away from doctrinal purity. And, and so I, I want to show you something that I see often in the world in which we live theologically, this, this half-baked truth. A lot of people jump, even people that are not believers will believe or, or quote Jeremiah 29.11. This is sort of kind of a, a, a coffee cup or t-shirt verse that everyone be, that quotes and says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. And the text says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, that's a great verse, right? I mean, we hear that verse and we're like, oh, yeah, that's, that, praise the Lord. That, God does have a plan to prosper. God's got a plan for me. And people, they... they they think that this verse is something that's really not. And I see folks use it sometimes. Preachers use it to manipulate certain things uh, to fit their goals and their agendas rather than asking God what is his goal and his agenda for our lives. Prosperity teachers uh, preach and use this all the time. Say, hey, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's what he wants. See right here. Look at the text. The text tells you he wants you to be this way. Well, the only problem with that is the rest of the verse or the rest of the chapter the rest of the chapter if you look at it in context jeremiah and his people were taken out of captivity or taken into captivity their economy had crashed their free market system was messed up and, and they were in everything was in shambles around them and everything felt like it was falling apart but god says yes i know you think everything's falling apart but i'm telling you everything's falling into place Everything's falling into place, and I'm, I'm telling you that I have a plan for your life. I've got a plan for your life to, to prosper you spiritually, to prosper your, your spiritual nature. And, and I, I want to help you understand and grow in this. So, and Jeremiah, if you look through the text, Jeremiah is not trying to get God in on his plans. Jeremiah is wanting to get in on what God's doing in his life. And, and I think that the church in, as a whole is filled with half-hearted commitments and followers of Christ. 
So James tells us in the text here, he says, if you see anyone wandering off doctrinally, go help them, go pursue them, go help bring them back. If a brother or if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whosoever brings him back from that wandering will save his soul. So I I think it's so important that we have to, to do this. So James shows us this in the text. Now, how do we go about bringing someone back? Because when you start talking about bringing someone back doctrinally, sometimes junior theologians can get a little crazy and they can just go in guns blazing and, and flinging left and right and just going crazy, right? We don't go in with swinging a sledgehammer. I've said this from this pulpit multiple times. Use your biblical knowledge like a scalpel, like a scalpel. And so I want us to go and we're going to spend some time in Second Timothy chapter so if you've got your Bibles, go back over to 2 Timothy, which is just a couple of, couple of pages back. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is a letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And throughout this, the, the whole verse, 25 times Paul tells Timothy to be strong. If you read the tone of 2 Timothy, it is a, it is a concerned letter. It is a letter that has a little bit of concern about it. Paul, like I said, Paul tells Timothy 25 times to be strong and to not waver. Be strong, be strong. And so I want us to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. I, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season, ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all patience and sound teaching. There will come a time, or I'm sorry, a time is coming when people will endure or not endure sound doctrine and teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths so paul writes this letter to timothy to let him know that he needs to stay the course and remain steadfast to the actual word of god paul is in prison writing this text and paul was in prison why because he had just been put in prison for preaching the gospel. For standing firm in the gospel, he was thrown into prison. So I'm going to tell you this much. There's going to come a time that we need to be ready and committed to be committed to the word of God because you might get thrown in prison for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might. So Paul's writing this letter and he seems to be writing this from the context that Timothy might be wavering in doctrinal proper doctrinal teaching so he commands him in chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 to stay the course of doctrinal purity stay pure to biblical truth don't go soft on preaching the word of god and i have dear brothers who often will check in on me and check on me theologically just asking questions to check on how i am doing and I'm thankful for that. I really am. I'm thankful that I have brothers who are willing to step into my life and ask those kind of questions. But Paul's doing the same thing here with Timothy. Paul's sort of a, a big brother to Timothy in the faith. Tim's 
Tim's a young guy. He's a young guy that he has a desire and a passion to preach. And Paul's been through the ringer. <laughs> Paul's been through the ringer a few times. And he's not, the tone is not, hey, I, I want to destroy your desire to preach. Rather, he's spurring him on to remain solid to the truth. Don't waver in your commitment to truth. So he says to him in front of God and the entire world, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When, when it's popular, when, it, when that in season and out of season, that means when it's popular and when it's not, continue to preach the word even if it's not popular. And right now, this, we're still in a season of, of where people enjoy and, and are excited about proper doctrinal teaching. That, that's, that's, in this church, it's still viewed as proper. But there may be a season at a time when the world says, we don't like that. We don't like proper doctrinal teaching we, we don't want to be confronted with our own sins we don't want to be reproved we don't want to be rebuked we want to have our ears tickled there's there's a lot of churches and and and, and organizations that are like that in the world in which we live I mean, there is there's a lot of i mean you got you got I, I think of what's his name joel smiling joel everybody hi god likes you just the way you are you're awesome like and that's that's dangerous ground to walk on that's, that's a motivational speaker without biblical foundations. And we have to be ready in season and out of season to preach the word, even if it's not popular. So he says, be ready to reprove and rebuke. Now, this is reproving and rebuking is the negative side of preaching. Having to confront sin where it's necessary. Don't, don't go soft on allowing sin to run rampant in the church of God. Be ready to rebuke where needed. Then he says to be ready to exhort. I love this one. This is, the, this is the side of preaching that most preachers like. Because this is the encourage, This is the positive side of preaching. Where you get to encourage people to live for Jesus. To encourage people to walk through life with Christ as their focal point and their, their foundation. To encourage people even in the midst of life storms that Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the beginning and the ending of our lives. He's to be our end all, be all. He is our everything. And, and how do we do this? The text tells us that we do this with all patience. With complete patience, this is how this works out. There's going to be times, there's going to be times where sound doctrinal teaching is not going to be tolerated. The text tells us to move into this. There's going to be a season. What's it say? There will be a day when people are not going to want to be confronted with their own sin. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing that now where churches are slowly now moving to a left view of Scripture, a more progressive view of Scripture, of scripture a progressive view of doctrine. And they start creeping over away and they want to have your ears tickled. To have your, your emotions stirred and your ears tickled to hear what you want to hear. So Paul tells Timothy, there's going to be coming a time where people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And it's, it's the day we're, we're moving into. Um, we've got guys like Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is a dangerous guy. He stands in his pulpit and he says we need to unhitch 
We need to be unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We need to unhitch the church from the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. And we really don't need the Old Testament anymore. And there are thousands of people who sit in his congregation and watch him online and say, hey, yes and amen. And just sheep to the slaughter. We have to be. And, I'm gonna, and I've heard through the grapevine that there's even pastors in this town who say we don't need the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. We don't need the Old Testament anymore. You cannot have Jesus without his word. You cannot have the word without Jesus. They're inseparable. You have to have them together. Jesus references the Old Testament multiple times during his ministry. And you can't have one without the other. You can't separate the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus from the fulfillment of the prophecies in the New Testament. They're both vital. The law is vital for us to understand that we need Christ. Romans chapter 3 tells us that the law was given as a schoolmaster to show us that we are sinful and in need of Christ. They're both vital. They're both vital. And Christ was revealed as the one who kept the law perfectly and he was our perfect stand-in and our propitiation, our our one that, that steps in the gap for us. John chapter 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light that shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Guys, this is so vital. The word of God is important. We have to have the New and the Old Testament. You cannot separate Jesus from the Bible. If I've heard preachers say, oh, we don't nearly need the Bible. We got Jesus. What? John just tells us that, the, that Jesus, it, this is his word. This is his word on paper. This is the breath of God, the Theophanuscus, the breath of God. So we have to be careful when we listen to pastors or preachers or teachers of the Bible, because I'm going to be honest, there's more dangerous teachers than there are good ones on the, on the radio and TV. There, now, I'm not going to say there's not good ones because there are good ones. I think of guys like John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul. Those guys are incredible Bible teachers. But if we're listening to any preacher, any pastor who says that we, need to, we don't need the Old Testament anymore, we don't need the, the, that first half of the Bible, we don't need that because we've got the New Testament, or we don't need the Bible, we just have Jesus, I'm going to tell you, those guys are heretics and should be treated as theological terrorists and should be avoided at all costs. Like, well, in fact, 2 Timothy in chapter 3 tells us sort of kind of a, a breakdown of what, it, what it's going to look like in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 3, says this, But understand this, I'm sorry, verse 1, Understand this, that in the last days there will come a time of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, loving, not not loving good, or treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having appearance, having an appearance of godliness, 
but denying its power. So the scripture says, avoid such people. Like, this is talking about people who claim to follow and know Jesus. We have to be careful and understand that there's going to come a day when there's going to be men who are going to stand in pulpits like this and they're going to itch your, you're going to scratch the itch that you want to have scratched. They're going to teach the stuff that you want to hear and not confront sin. They're going to say things like, we just need the, we don't need the law. Well, of course the enemy doesn't want you to have the law because the law convicts. The law shows that you need to be saved. The law shows that you don't measure up and you have to have someone to stand in the gap for you. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who stands in the gap for us. And this this entire text that we read in 2 Timothy 3, that verse is about people who claim to know God, who claim to follow the Lord. And we have to be discerning We have to be discerning of what is happening in the text, in the day in which we live. This is why it's important to have right theology. And if if we see someone who's wandering into doctrinal error, we need to be ready and willing and able to go to them and help them. And we don't go in with with a holier-than-now attitude. We come in with a humble heart and a desire to see men and women reconciled to the God of the universe. Like that's how this is what we this is how it works out. James tells us in the text. He says, "My brothers, if anyone among you wanders in wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whosoever brings back a sinner from his wandering ways will save his soul from death, and he'll that'll cover a multitude of sins." Guys, this is this is big. Verse 19 is talking about people who have professed themselves as believers, who have st- but have strayed from the truth. Such people are in danger. Like I said before, at the beginning of this, our theology matters. Our belief about the scriptures matter. Our belief about Jesus matters. And the church must be willing to call men and women back to the truth. We must be willing to engage men and women with the truth of the gospel. Now, I want us to see something in this and understand in the text that when it says in James that let him know, let him know that whosoever brings back a sinner from his wandering race will save his soul. Now, you and I don't do the saving. Caleb doesn't do the saving. Jesus is the one who saves. God is using you as an instrument to proclaim his gospel, not my gospel, but his gospel, to a person who needs to be saved. Jesus is the one who does the saving and the redeeming, period. So this is why... We have to be confident in his word. We have to hold fast to his word because his word will not return back null and void to us. His word will be what it's always been. It'll be the the proclamation of a solid, powerful, God-breathed word. So as we end this study in James, this is what James tells us to do. We need to, like, think of all the stuff we've walked through. Walking in suffering, walking with Jesus through suffering. How to walk with people that are difficult. 
How to, like there's, been, there's so many things through the text that have helped us, that's shown us through the text, that this is where, this is how God does his best work. This is how Jesus works. This is how he, the power of his word penetrates a man, woman, boy, or boy's heart and transforms them from the inside out. I want us to see and understand that this, that, that what we teach and what we believe about the Bible is important. What we as a church stand for. The moment that I, as your pastor, step away from biblical truth and start running off into fables and myths and, and stories, that's the day you need to get rid of me. The, the day that we don't have any more pursuit of God's word, that's the moment that this thing needs to shift and change. We, regardless of if it's popular or not, we need to be willing to stand in the pulpit and say, Thus saith the Lord. And we need to be people who are willing and ready to proclaim the gospel to people that are around us and not shy away from it. Even when so many in the world are pining and longing for a watered down gospel, we need to be bold in our approach and know that Jesus is with us in the midst of all of life's struggles, all of life's Storms. We need to hold fast to this and not let go of this. We need to know that Jesus is more than enough. We need to know that he is the author. He's the perfecter. He's the one who we pursue more than anything else. I think of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. And he, he goes through this and he, he tells Paul tells us in Hebrews, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight of sin that clings so closely. And, and one of the gravest sins that we can have is theological error in our hearts. Theological errors in our, in our minds. Set these things Aside, lay aside this sin. Lay aside sin. Let's just go from, if, you, if you've got other sins, we, that, you know your life. You know your heart. You know what's going on in your world. This is the moment where we need to repent. If we're, if we're enjoying theological fluffiness that doesn't work and doesn't root itself and ground itself in the word of God, we need to repent and run from it. We need to run from it. Because Why? This sin will tangle you up and it will cling so closely and you'll begin to love it because it, it strokes your ego and it strokes what you want out of your own personal sinful side. So we have to be ready to run this race with endurance. Endurance means we keep pressing, we keep going, we keep moving forward, even when it's tough, even when the world doesn't say this is okay, even when the world pushes back and says you're being narrow-minded. And I always like to say I'm about as narrow as my Bible. That's, that's how narrow-minded I want to be. I want to be as narrow-minded as my Bible. Because the moment you open, oh, just you need to open your mind. When you open your mind, a lot of trash can get in. You have to be on guard. The scripture tells us over and over again, be watchful because the enemy wants to take you out. Be watchful. The enemy's like a lion. He's ready to pounce and he's prowling, looking around, trying to pounce on you. So Paul tells us, run with endurance. Run this race with endurance. 
that is set before us. And how do we, what do we need to do as we're running? We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. Because he is the author. He's the perfecter of, the, of our faith. He, he had the joy that was set before him. Endured, and he endured the cross for you. He endured the shame for you. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know from Romans chapter 8, what is Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us that we would walk in victory. He's interceding on our behalf. Say, that's mine. That one's mine. That one's mine. Guys, we need to consider him. We need to consider what he's done on our behalf. We need to be willing to stand and say, God, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll follow however you need me to follow. I'll study and I'll be grounded in proper theology and know who you are. And my view of you, I don't want it to be this worldly view of Jesus. I want it to be a biblical view of Jesus that shuns sin and longs for holiness. Because when we long for holiness, the scripture says in Hebrews, without holiness, we will not see God. And we need to long for Holiness, because when we long for holiness, that will bring us into proper communion with the Father. So as we end this study up, I want us to understand our view of this book matters. The view of what you see on these pages matters. And I want us to take it seriously Take seriously what God's laid before us. Because I do believe that time is growing short. I do believe that the Lord is coming soon. And we need to not ignore, we don't need to ignore what is on these pages. We need to be ever vigilant and ever ready. And if we hear, if we know of someone that's wandered off in a doctrinal error, we need to go to them and say, listen, brother, sister. I need to tell you what's going on. You, you have some stuff that I want to talk to you about. And be willing in love to confront someone about doctrinal errors. And be willing to, to pray with them and, and help them back onto the road that is narrow. The road that's narrow. So let's pray and ask God to do what only He can do in these, in these moments. Father, we... We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it, Father, as we walk through these weird and dark days. God, we know that we have your word as our light and we can take our next step with you guiding us because you're the one that holds the light. You keep our feet on the path that needs to be there, Father. I pray that you would pursue us and, and show us how to walk Give us strength, Father, to to be committed to your word and committed to the church. Help us not to wander off into silly myths and silly things, but help us to be ever mindful, ever vigilant of your word. God, we love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus.